part of the design around NUN is really to get students connecting in a global way from the get-go to see that they are able to both get the content because our students are very concerned and, and really focused on making sure that they're making academic progress. But then we also want to make sure that students are exposed to different ways of thinking, different ways of knowing, uh, different ways of being in the world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Stride's inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad, a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with World Strides, and I am so excited about this episode. Today, we'll be talking about first-year study abroad programs. That's right, semester programs for students in their freshman year of college. A growing number of U.S. universities are asking their first-year students to study abroad, calling it a transformative experience that should not be reserved solely for students in their later years of college. The practice while still relatively rare and new in U.S. higher education, has been expanding in recent years at both large institutions such as Florida State University, New York University, and Syracuse University, as well as smaller ones such as Colby, Bard, and Kenyon Colleges. But when I think of first-year study abroad programs, though, it's almost always Northeastern University that's top of mind. Northeastern began its NUN program back in 2007 and now sends students to 11 global destinations beyond the main undergraduate campuses in Boston, London, and Oakland during their first semester of college. This fall, approximately 2,600 students will start their Northeastern journey in Boston and nearly 3,300 elsewhere. Impressive, to say the least. It is my immense pleasure to welcome Amy Stevens, Vice Chancellor of Global Experiential Pathways, at Northeastern University onto the podcast. Amy is a driving force behind the growth and success of all things global experiences at Northeastern, including, among many other things, NUN. I very much admire Amy's commitment to innovation, growth, and student success, and I can't wait to pick her brain. Stay tuned for this conversation. You do not want to miss this episode. Amy Stevens, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. I'm so excited to be joining you. To begin, Amy, I'd love for you to give us a brief overview of your professional journey up to this point, how you came to your current role at Northeastern, and share a bit about the ecosystem of global experiences at Northeastern. Excellent. Thank you. I did my doctoral work in American intellectual history uh, from Boston College, so was on a traditional faculty type of a path, and ended up dodging did seven years and then went off into finance. And I always credit that uh, brief stint in finance. I think I probably did about 10 years overall with actually the best preparation I needed to become a higher ed administrator. It really gave me an understanding of, of volume and numbers and data and how to ask really good questions that uh, help run a business, not just how to further a field. And so I took that knowledge uh, into a master's of teaching in arts from Marlboro College Graduate Center in Vermont, and then most recently did an MFA in creative writing uh, from Southern New Hampshire University. So my academic background is varied. Um, I like to pick up a degree from every place I work, if it's possible. <laughs> and then I have been, what I would like to say is my career is based on my approach to thinking about it as a jungle gym and not a ladder. 
And I think in a VUCA world where we've got volatility, uncertainty, chaos, and ambiguity, being an agile, sort of flexible leader will allow you to reach for whatever next really fun opportunity comes at you. Uh, And that's the case at Northeastern. So while I've worked in a lot of different academic settings, I am new to global and internationalization, which I think definitely surprised my teams when I brought when I came in with no uh, specific experience there. However, I was an executive director for programs that ran in Africa, in Kenya, in Rwanda, and in Lebanon. So while not traditional uh, study abroad, I haven't had experience in international education. Absolutely. And, and just, you know, a, a long period from what I know of your career, it's just been, you know, every institution you seem to touch leads to growth. So I'm very impressed by you, Amy, and thank you for sharing that introduction. We're here today to talk about first-year programs, but Northeastern is truly a global powerhouse when it comes to international experiences. Let's hone in a bit on NUN, and I'd love for you if you could share a bit about the inception of this model, the goals behind its creation, and how it's evolved over time. One of the things I think a lot of universities find themselves in is wanting to be able to take more students than they can originally fit in the beginning. And so I think Northeastern definitely started NUN as a way to both expand the amount of students they were able to enroll and to be able to offer students something a little different than than the traditional Boston experience. I will say that as we have grown and as the university has grown and led, one of the ways in which we've developed is really seeing ourselves as a global university. And over the past few years, our ability to push beyond the traditional locations of Boston and Oakland and and London and try to find places for students to make an impact in the world really is a big, uh, big part of our strategy. The university has a desire to make an impact in the world, and we can't make an impact in the world if the only world we experience is Boston. We may center that as the, the crucial part of our experience, but we really do know the world is a big, bigger place than that. Part of the design around NUN is really to get students connecting in a global way from the get-go to see that they are able to both get the content, because our students are very concerned and, and really focused on making sure that they're making academic progress. So we start by making sure we have really phenomenal academic partners, but then we also want to make sure that students are exposed to different ways of thinking, different ways of knowing, uh, different ways of being in the world, and that they're able to start to develop what we call contextual agility so that they can take what they learn in one place and be able to bring it back to Boston if that's where they end up or if they end up in somewhere else in our network. They're able to learn and apply, not just uh, think, okay, I've consumed the content, now I'm going to move on to my next step. That's really wise. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Amy. The NUN program represents a tremendous undertaking and commitment on behalf of North Northeastern. As you consider geodiversity and intentionality being just a few of the factors that play into its success, how does this kind of initiative tie back to the mission of Northeastern? And at the leadership level, what kinds of dialogue are happening behind NUN at Northeastern? We're looking at a couple of things, as, uh, especially as we think about where we want to be able to be in the world and what kind of partners we're looking for. So we are looking for partners that will go beyond what we consider a transactional relationship. We want to be able to build strategic partnerships because we think many of the locations that we've chosen and the partners we have chosen provide a wonderful sort of stretch opportunities both of our institutions in different ways. 
one of the, I think one of the things we continue to look at in balance is the role that the locations play in retention, even as we start to think about the acceptance rates and yield curves. So we want to make sure that we're choosing places that are, I'm going to say this is, um, they are far enough away that they feel different, but they are not so far that they are not going to be attractive to a family who's, who's maybe coming to this experience as, as a little bit of a fresh sort of unsurprising eyes. So we want to make sure that there's a proximity here that families can see their student there. In addition to, they can imagine themselves visiting, the families visiting those locations. We have found that is to be actually a big driver as part of our enrollment considerations. We know as international educators, structured study abroad experiences can be high impact practices. And we love talking about HIPs in international education, don't we? Northeastern students participating in this program are set up from day one to benefit from such an opportunity and all that comes with it. Could you share with our listeners some of the outcomes you are seeing in students as a result? One of the first ones actually is, is we do group flights for students and we do them from major U.S. cities to the locations. So when students are arriving, they are arriving already in cohort. And you can see that when students show up at the airport, say they show up JFK or Logan, uh, with their Northeastern gear, they immediately begin to start to form cohorts. So even before they've gotten into an icebreaker or have an ID card, they are already beginning to form that sense of belonging, which we know is a high impact practice for students when they go abroad. In addition, we're starting to see really high uh, returns on students having, so coming back to the contextual agility is one of the big high impact practices that we're looking for an output for. Can they take what they've learned and apply it in different settings? We are seeing really high rates around students growing their appreciation of diversity, which I think is a wonderful thing, especially in this complex world where students are being exposed to other students and others, other cultures in a way that they increase their own appreciation for it. Uh, and not in a sort of, isn't it nice that we have lots of different people here, but they actually can start to appreciate the diversity, the, the sort of the benefit that diversity brings in. It helps them sort of challenge their own assumptions and makes them both, uh, hopefully, both better learners. And if, eventually, when they go out into the workforce, more empathetic colleagues um, in the workplace. We see students engage in a lot of clubs and activities in each of those locations, and they're able to bring back other really great competencies around things like organizing, uh, communicating, being able to advocate for themselves. So uh, a long list of outputs that we, we think are really fantastic for these students, in addition to being able to really push themselves on their academic journey. That's fabulous. Thank you for sharing that, Amy. Studying abroad on any program can mean a lot of firsts for any student, with public transportation, long-haul flights, and many other aspects of the experience being new to our participants. The NUN program adds a layer of your students also being newcomers to college in general. How do you and your team ensure that the needs of this diverse group of learners are met and scaffolded appropriately? Yes, yeah, so we start doing that in a couple of ways. As soon as students are accepted and have deposited, we start a communication channel with them. We will bring them to campus in the summer uh, to do pre-departure orientation, where we begin to address a lot of these factors with them. We introduce them to making good, healthy choices around alcohol and drugs, especially in foreign countries where their drinking ages may not may be lower than what they're expecting here in the United States. 
we talk to them a lot about uh, consent and why that matters and how we set them up. So think about all of the traditional things you would think about in a first year experience program. We build that into our pre-departure orientations and then our welcome week. One of the unique things we do is we do send staff uh, along with students to each of these locations, or we've hired staff specifically in the locations with through partners. This is a combination of residential staff, so our students' um, success coordinators who live with the students and act in essentially as RAs and emotional support. So there's a lot of checking in on students. There's a lot of group activities in those early days of exploring the city. We also have what's called our Student Success Initiative. This is an app partnered with peer mentors so that students are always connected back to Northeastern and they can ask questions at any time at any place they think they need. And we're providing just another level of support to help them through these transitional moments, especially as they think about coming back to Boston and need to be able to register for housing, register for classes, you know, figure out how to be able to come back. We try to support them through that transition as well. Yeah, you're making me think about all the all the logistical challenges that must go into to incorporating that many students coming into Northeastern and Boston in that second semester of their first year. One of the most wonderful things is wandering through the dining hall and seeing like students, and sometimes they'll even bring the flag from the country they were in. I love um, that. In January or February, having reunion dinners, um, and they're catching up. They're talking about their new roommates. They're talking about their classes in Boston. One of the interesting pieces of feedback we've heard, and I think this is something that I would say is a reminder for students when they return, when they're in these different cities, they're going out after classes, they're going out after work, they're going out exploring, right? They're going to explore the coffee shops, they're going to explore the all the historical sites. When we find that they, when we, they come to Boston, we often hear that they don't prioritize exploring their hometown. Um, and so they start to shrink back a little bit. And so one of the things we do in our spring programming is to find an activity that gets them back out of the residence halls, that gets them out into the city to just be like, remember when you were when you were such a world explorer, don't forget that part of you when you come back to Boston. I love that. You did it in Lisbon. Why can't you do it in Boston? So that's fantastic. Like, right, you have exactly. That, such yeah. intentionality. Building the NUN program is quite an achievement, Amy. So, you know, huge hats off to you and your amazing team at Northeastern. You know, I'm sure there's been lessons learned along the way. What are some obstacles that you've overcome? And how has so many years of administering NUN shaped your approach? Every country that we visit has a very disaggregated consulate system. And so student visas becomes one of the biggest obstacles uh, depending on where the students are coming from, which region of the country, if they're in the U.S., what other regions of the world they're in, navigating the student visa and staff visa, because we have to send, when we're sending staff, remains our biggest challenge. And so I think that is something that if I, uh, if I had a magic wand in this whole scenario, it would be go back to countries earlier and say, hey, you should expect a lot of students to be coming to, through your consulates. Can we work on this? We have proactive conversations with our consulates. We have a phenomenal team that is really just very well connected, very active in NAPSA, and are able to help us really become closer to the consulates that we're working with to be able to provide best service. But I think that is, as we have scaled and as we have gone into more countries, our ability to, to communicate with students and families around the visa process, I think, remains one of the, one of the most difficult complexities involved. 
The other challenge I think we have started to see is that the students that we recruit and attract and retain come to us with incredibly high levels of AP credit and are expecting to be able to move really quickly through their degree. And so being able to offer non-first-year student courses as part of the catalog isn't always easy, depending on which partner we're looking at. And so trying to balance students' desires to be able to move really fast in their majors with a understanding that we're going to ask you to take a culture class in each of these locations. And we do that because this should be a cultural exchange and not just a go to some other place and take the same classes. So we're trying to balance how do we scaffold and design a student academic experience that both matches what we know is a well-rounded, really fantastic college experience or university experience with what it feels is at times is a really student sort of focus on, I need to make progress in my major and just my major. Um, One of the conversations that I frequently have with families is, you know, that major is going to get you your first job, but the rest of it is going to keep you in your career. So, you know, the, the, it, we don't just pad these, these curriculum for padding's sake. There's a very intentional reason why we want you to do what is essentially general education or culture courses, because we actually think it will make you a better, a better future leader. You know, sometimes in uh, my more inspired days, I think that we're in the business of creating better humans in international education. So I, I love what you said. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I, I would love to, to dig a bit deeper, Amy. What are some of your thoughts and observations around high-impact practices and their outcomes as experienced by the first years on your NUN programs versus the older students who participate on your other global study abroad programs? We try to scaffold the first-year students in a way that we are not expecting them to navigate the subway system when they arrive. We're not expecting them to suddenly be fluent in a foreign language from the get-go. We're not asking students to do homestays in that first-year experience because we know that for the 17, 18, 19-year-old, that living in community is going to be a really big deal, that they are not choosing this program for full language immersion, although that may be a benefit of it. And so that we can really focus on what I think of are those critical executive function skills that first-year college students need. So we spend a lot of time talking about their college class, the schedule, and making sure they understand the schedule, when they're supposed to show up for classes. So the inputs and the outputs for the first year, we try to bridge many of those traditional first-year experience, high-impact practices that we know are so create success for students. We really try to build that all into our first year experience programs abroad, no matter what country they are in. So they have uh, they have group dinners, family dinners to be able to increase belonging. They have study sessions that are the, to be able to understand that sometimes learning does happen in groups. We have midpoint check-ins to understand that the students are on academic track or that we're getting to them early enough to intervene. So there's a, a I would consider a, a much higher level of scaffolding for the first year experience students. That's great. Yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing that. I'm just so impressed with the intentionality behind all of these programs. Amy, many of us are in this field because we caught a travel bug along the way and were inspired to see ourselves as global learners. I know that was the case for me. Having had this enriching experience abroad, how are your students engaging with the international community at Northeastern when they return to campus in Boston? I think it happens organically through being engaged. We have a lot of international students in Boston. And so students are going to be 
in classes together, in community together, and in, in housing together. The one thing we have found is that for students who take NUN, uh, they actually have a 30% higher chance of choosing to study abroad or to do a global co-op. Um, and so we know that these students who engage early uh, then go on to engage often. Um, and that is probably a much easier thing for us to, to calculate and quantify than it is for the engagements on uh, back home in Boston with international students. Yeah, I just want to, I just want to, play up what you just said. So your NUN participants are 30% more likely to study abroad later on during their during their time at Northeastern than students who don't participate in NUN. That's really impressive. That's a great stat. It is it is very impressive. They have a they've caught the travel bug early. They are excited to be able to continue to do that travel. So I would say it's both study abroad and um, global co-op. Global co-op. Uh, so you. which are the two uh, the two mobility um, opportunities that we have now for students. Um, and then we've also seen they like to stick around for the their, after they graduate and, and then become a staff person. And so we, we will find a good chunk of our staff that we send abroad are actually alums of Northeastern who have done the NUN program specifically. And that's why they want to be able to give back, uh, which is another great endorsement for the program. Talking to you is very inspiring, Amy. And I'm curious about the advice you would want to give to colleagues at other institutions who are interested in starting large-scale first-year programs like this. Yeah, there's a way in which my previous my previous institution, we used to call it the shock and awe tour, which is the, the advice I would give is it's going to be a lot more expensive and a lot bigger lift than you originally think. And so if you're going to get into this, know that you are getting into uh, this is not a send them away and forget it. it. To do this well, I think, is not a send them away and forget it and see what happens when they return. If you are invested in student success and you are invested and believe that education is transformational, then I think you as an institution have to invest in that uh, to be able to match that. And so for us, that means that we have an internal admission cycle we have a customer service team that is able to help sort support families and students during the, I would say, during the application through the departure time. And we have that staff 24-7 to be able to get all of the support that they need. We have a phenomenal global safety office that is able to do assessments on all the locations that we go to uh, and really gets down to from the sort of the high level, big picture of what is the region look like down to. That, that stairwell really needs to have another camera or another lock. I mean, we spend a lot of time thinking about security. We spend a lot of time thinking about what are the health and wellness support services available in the each location, and do they match what a U.S. Um, expectation is? And so we really have tried to find partners that we understand can provide phenomenal health care uh, at the moment we need it, that we can provide phenomenal mental health coverage at the moment we need it. So we really have this checklist of, of things that we want to make sure we're providing for students because we know that when we provide all of that, we have a much better student experience and we have much better student sort of success rates coming back. And those are the things that are really crucial for us. So if I was working with another institution and saying, okay, you're going to set this up, you're going to need to be attuned to sort of keeping your faculty happy when they see what the transfer agreements are coming back in. So you're going to need to have a really strong academic team who's able to handle the registrations and which courses you're going to be mapping to. You need a strong student life team who can support really and understand student mobility and how to be able to set up communities in residence, 
be able to support excursions. Um, and then you actually need a good management team who is going to be able to uh, keep up with all of those partnerships, the agreements, the contracts, and the rest of it. There's a lot of work here. It is incredibly beneficial, but it is not an easy layup to be able to just jump into this space and think it's going to go well from the get-go. It sounds like uh, an institution really has to commit to the model and it really, it really invest in the team that's necessary to keep, to make it successful. It, yeah. And I think it's, I, we have seen other institutions who have done it differently and I think they all have different strengths and different returns on that investment. I just know that at Northeastern for us to do this, it is not, we don't take this lightly. We take it as essential to our ability to live up to the Northeastern promise um, and we want the students who engage in this program to have just as a just as a supported experience as they would if they pursued any other path at the university. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, Amy. That's re- that's really great advice. What kinds of conversations are you having with incoming students and especially their families about expectations, being open minded, and how to set students up for success regardless of their location? I mentioned our pre departure orientation. We have a special session there called Holding Close and Letting Go. Uh, this is just for parents. So the conversation that we have with parents is to really, we do two parts to it. The first is that we bring in um, our global safety officer who talks about all of the things that have gone into safety. So you, you're, if you're a parent in the audience and you listen to what this man has done to be able to sort of uh, support the program, you walk, you suddenly have a level of feeling like, oh, okay. He has thought about all this stuff I don't need to worry about, right? We, we know where the hospital is. We know the ambulance times. He's got contacts everywhere. We're good. Um, the second part of that is a conversation that we really try to have with families that does two things. It helps set the tone for what is the level of communication you and your student should be engaged in and when is it appropriate. Um, and the second part of it is is to really make sure that we're helping parents transition to this idea where they, they sometimes the fastest path for them to get resolution is to actually step out of it and we and let the student begin to manage themselves in conversation with their site staff. Um, and that is a big transformation for families. And really what we want you to do is to help your student, and you can coach from the background, but help your student be the one who begins to advocate for themselves, who begins to ask the questions, who begins to do the reporting, if they want to be able to leave for a weekend, we ask them to fill out a deviation form. The parent shouldn't be filling that out. The student should be filling that out. And this is, I don't think is unique for NUN. It's just, we have a really great opportunity to have this conversation with parents at this very pivotal moment. Um, and I say this as a mom who has sent off two children uh, to college. I'm about to do a college drop off with one the day after tomorrow. And I've sent a student off to do study abroad in Morocco. And so my impulse has always been to let my student and my child, like, you're going you're gonna to have to go and figure this stuff out. I'm here. I can coach you from the back, but I'm not calling any colleges on your behalf unless there's a real serious problem. We are seeing a generation of parents who have been so actively involved that this idea of letting your student go off is at times scary and being okay with that, that level of, of, of fear is I think is a hard thing for parents, but it's part of our job as a university to help you say, this is actually, you've been preparing for this moment for 18 years. We're not going to rip the bandaid, but we're going to, we're going to help you get to the next side of this parenting um, opportunity as well. 
That's fabulous advice. Yeah, you know, I often think that sometimes it's it's scarier for the parents than it is for the students. It really is. You know, Amy, we've spent a lot of time talking about the scale of NUN, what it achieves, and how it is part of the educational web at Northeastern. But we haven't talked a lot about individual students, which are, of course, at the heart of the good work we do in education abroad. Could you tell us a story about how you've seen a student impacted by their time abroad with Northeastern? Oh, my goodness. So many. I think I've seen a couple of stories where students have come in really sort of dead set on a specific major and then end up taking a course that's outside of it, being exposed to something and then coming back and either adding a second major, maybe just deciding they want to go in a completely different direction. And then one of the things that I love to see is the individual students who come back and say, you know what, I had a fantastic time in this location. I want to go back. I want to do something else. And so we have seen, I mentioned Global Co-op a couple of times. We've seen a number of our NUN students go off and then create their own global co-ops, which is they are reaching back to someone they met when they were in NUN and saying, I would love to come work with you for six months. Um, Or do you have any relationships or anybody that I can contact to be able to build a co-op for myself? Uh, These kinds of examples show students have a level of self-advocacy that they're actually doing, going back to that idea of contextual agility and far transfer they are able to say, hey, I learned something in this program in my first semester of college. I want to pick that idea back up again and follow it. I want to be able to do work that's aligned to that. Even if it's in a different location, sometimes it's like, I'd like to see a comparison between these two regions. And so I think one of the things that I'm most excited about for some of our students is the stories that I hear where they have taken this as really just a moment of pivot and and opening up life-changing opportunities. You know, as we begin to wrap up here, I want to turn our attention forward and, and look ahead. And Amy, as you, as you think about education abroad in 2023, what makes you hopeful? For international education in general, helping students move beyond what may be an Instagram list of places to visit is really at the top of my list. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited for Northeastern students who continue to think about their time abroad as being able to match academic programs uh, gives us a little bit more opportunity to be able to design and partner with programs that may get students off the beaten track, that may bring them into locations they've never been before. I think we have a, there's a lot of world that we can offer our students to be able to make an impact in, and I'm excited to see how our students respond to these, to these programs and places. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end it than right here. Amy Stevens, thank you so much for being here. This has been such a blast. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Seth McGinnis, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelcher and Sarah Kachuba, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, and share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together. Bye.